Now, grab your Bibles and open them to Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 11, and I'll read that in just a second. <clears throat> but first of all, let me say this. Guys, uh, if you haven't, weren't able to be with us last week, we're in a little four-part series that's leading us up to Easter. Um, Holy Week consists of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And what we're doing is using each of these Sundays up to Easter to focus in on one of those days. Last week it was Sunday. Today it is Monday. According to the, uh, Mark's account, um, there are two big events that occur on Monday. I'm sure there were other things that happened, but the two big events were the fig tree thing that we'll read in just a second and um, the cleansing of the temple. So we could do either or, but we cannot do both. And so I had to pick one of them and I chose the fig tree, which I hope um, was the leadership of God. Let me read it to you. It's brief and it is fairly Familiar. It reads like this, beginning at verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, this is a miracle in a parable or a parable in a miracle or a parable and a miracle. Uh, I have books in my library that take both sides. So what, how will we approach this small passage. Well, I've chosen to take the both and, uh, that it's a miracle and a parable, um, and both of those are crammed into three verses. And oh, how much is packed into three verses. Have you ever read this story before? I bet you have. Um, what did you think when you read it? Uh, what, what kind of mark did it leave on you? Any? Well, Dr. Young, actually, you know, I thought it was kind of odd myself. You know, um, uh, I mean, what, is, what does Jesus have against a fig tree? I mean, he treats it as some kind of moral agent. I mean, did you notice that he even speaks to it in verse 14? Well, let me assure you, ladies and gentlemen, that... Jesus says nothing against fig trees. Um, it is only in what that tree symbolizes that evokes this malediction from Jesus. Folks, um, he is using this fig tree as a symbol for Israel, which is done numerous times in the Old Testament, that Israel is likened to a fig tree or a vine. And, and you don't need to waste another moment's mental energy on trying to figure out the difference between a grape and a fig. That's not the point. It's not a matter of whether we've got a fig tree producing figs and a vineyard producing grapes. That's not the issue. The issue, ladies and gentlemen, is fruit. You see, both of those things, 
that is a vine and a fig tree. Both of those things produce fruit. One produces figs, the other produces grapes. Or at least they are supposed to. Folks, the thing that's important here is the similarity of both of those trees is that they both produce fruit. That barren fig tree was a symbol of Israel. Um, Here, Israel is likened unto not a fig tree, but a barren fig tree full of leaves, but no figs, no fruit. You see, the issue is not what kind of fruit. The issue is fruit. God expects fruit. From a distance, we're told in verse 13, from a distance, this, um, this was one pretty tree. I mean, all those lush leaves and all, just like Israel. Um, You see, Israel had attractive foliage. I mean, there was the, the temple and the priesthood with all of those beautiful robes that they wore and those turbans. I've always wanted one of those turbans. Um, that sacrificial system. But it was all show. It was form without substance. It was a it was appearances without any reality. It was motions without any heart. It was professions without any life. It was ritual without any meaning. Now, gang, all of this, this little story, has such piercing application in a couple of places. First of all, the church. You know, guys, back 31, 32 years ago, when this church started, I was tasked with putting together a, a worship service, an order of a worship service, uh, which we still observe today. Um, our worship service is pretty simple. It only has two parts. There's music and then there's preaching. That's it. Um, but as a boy, um, I was raised in a world that was fairly liturgical. We did all kinds of things. We did the Apostles' Creed. We did a responsive reading. We did the doxology. And one of the things that we did is um, called the Gloria Patri. Now, you remember that, don't you? You don't remember the Gloria Patri? It, it, it goes like this. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. That was it. That's the Gloria Patri. 
Now, I have asked this question on probably 12 different occasions in the 30 years that I've been here, and no one has been able to give me the right answer. So here's the question again. What is the it? What are you talking about? The it in the song. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning and now will ever shall. What's the it? Huh? What's it referring to? I mean, it's a, it's a neuter pronoun. But what does it mean? Well, I don't know, Dr. Young. You mean to tell me that you and I sang that thing every week for years and we didn't know what we were singing? You mean to tell me that we have been engaged in ritual? without meaning folks I don't know whether you noticed it but we do the Apostles Creed once a month here but I always start it like this brother and sister in Christ tell me what do you believe in the hopes that you will say ah okay well this is what I believe I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of Oh, by the way, the it in the glory of Patri refers to the Trinity. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning. The Trinity was in the beginning. But ladies and gentlemen, in the evangelical world, we sing a song countless times and don't even know what it means. Hmm. But the other place where this passage has such great application is, of course, to us as individuals. Are there empty professors or professions among us? More than likely. Well, how many? Is it a lot or a few? I don't know. But there, if, the, if it's an empty profession, they, are, they have impressive exteriors, you know, big talk. They are theologically and doctrinally adroit, and they can, they can converse with you over Bible stories. They even can share with you some, some Bible facts. They might even be givers. And, and maybe, maybe prominent people in the church, like this tree, you know, it kind of stood out. But to them the gospel has come in word only. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here's where we must first take this text to our own hearts. The text asks of us to bring with it a fair measure of healthy self-suspicion. Leave everybody else alone. Just use this little story, parable slash miracle, 
to look inside yourself in there what do you see do you see leaves or do you see fruit folks the Bible always insists that you will know them by their fruits, not by their leaves. Now, as uncomfortable as all of this might be out of this text, you need to add this much to that. Each tree, each of us, each tree will be inspected by Jesus and he will be looking for fruit the inspector general will be looking for fruit you know I used to work for a man who was a regional director of Walgreens and um, he traveled a lot. He would go to various cities and, and uh, he would visit every Walgreens store in that city. And he used to pride himself. I mean, he got great pleasure out of when he was through with his inspection of the store that the store manager would say to him, is there nothing right with my store? He liked to do that. Well, let me just say, that man's inspection pales into insignificance next to the inspection of the inspector general folks religion in, in this case Judaism but religion may be satisfied with leaves but Jesus isn't Jesus looks for fruit. Jesus won't settle for forms or words or emotions. The leaves on this tree suggested that it was a fruitful tree. But it wasn't. Jesus wants fruit. And fruit is that which is visible and quantifiable. Fruit not just from you, but from all of us. You know, I stand up here week after week and make my positions known. Where is my fruit? Folks, fruit is what he looks for. He isn't gathering a leaf collection, but he looks for fruit. And in this case, Israel um, had no fruit. But she boasted of being very religious, 
without any fruit. But the, but the thing that Jesus looked for on the tree was fruit. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is about to give his life for what? To make us leafy? No. But to make us fruitful. Fruit bearing is proof of life. And he is really a good fruit inspector. You can't fool him. And then one other lesson out of this little story is that where there is no fruit, the end, the tree ends up withered. Nothing but leaves means nothing but show. And nothing but show means doom. You see, this was a tree, Israel, was a tree that attracted the hungry. Jesus was hungry. But it only deceived people. It, it makes this pretension that it was something when it wasn't. And it ended up withered. You know, folks, um, during the three-year ministry of Jesus Christ, the only thing that Jesus ever destroyed was a fig tree, which, of course, symbolized an empty, lifeless religion. If that were found in a person or a church. Did you notice that Judaism is cursed with a perpetual barrenness? It's in verse 14. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. If that sounds a bit extreme, maybe it is, but here's how Matthew says it. Jesus is speaking and he says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Judaism lacked fruit and she perished though there was all kinds of beautiful appearances.
Now, guys, uh, should you be wondering what kind of fruit exactly Jesus has in mind? Well, let me read you this. I mean, you know about this. It's, um, it's found in Galatians 5. And Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So folks, when Jesus stands before you, the tree, what he's looking for are some of these things. Um, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit, folks, for which Jesus looks. And you will notice, I hope, there wasn't much in there about deeds and acts, but it was dominated by graces. Graces that give rise to deeds. And here's the word that I love to use, and I I hope it's adequate. Here's what he's looking for. Christ-likeness. He's not looking for, am I a church member? He's looking for, is there anything that looks a little bit like me in this tree? Wow, Dr. Young, I mean, does, does that mean that, uh, that Jesus is the standard? That's exactly what it means. And once you realize that, that the friends on the pew, is, they're not the standard, and the guy behind the pulpit, he's not the standard, that Jesus is the standard... Once you realize that the standard is Jesus Christ, the only right and sane response is to sprint. Run, don't walk to Christ Jesus. Maybe for some it's the first time. Great. But for so many of you here, you've already come to Jesus like that. But we need to sprint too and ask Him for more. More. Give me more of that for which you look. I want more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more gentleness, more self-control. I want more of it. Grant it to me.
Folks, John Stott said it like this. He said, Christianity is Christ. He is the hub. All else is circumference. He's the hub. All else is leaf. What I want is him. Our Father, would you use this brief passage to show us all over again that the real issue at stake has nothing to do with uh, some kind of outward um, religiosity. It has to do with the state of one's heart a heart that has been made new by the power of the Holy Ghost, and it from that point forward is begin to has begun to generate fruit. Might we, O oh God, find rich, bountiful fruit among us as a church and among us as individuals? Father, if you brought someone here this morning who has not yet met our Savior, who is not yet redeemed, would you cause them to see that what they are thinking is enough, is nowhere close. Cause them to see the beauty that so many of us have found in Christ and Him crucified. We pray, of course, in His name. Amen.